Welcome to the Karis Karis Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundlin. So many teens are struggling with disordered eating, but how do you know if your child truly has an eating disorder? And more importantly, how can you help? I am joined by Cara McNulty, who is head of well-being at CVS Health, and is going to help us navigate this complicated subject and offer some practical solutions. She has quite the background, so we're really excited to have you here, Cara. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Kara. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is a big deal. I was reading that, you know, well, first of all, anorexia is the highest mortality rate, I believe, of any psychiatric disease, but this can also lead to suicide. I mean, it's so much more than girls just trying to be thin, right? It is more than people trying to be thin, and even beyond females. Disordered eating and eating disorders impact everyone whether age, gender, race, it is affecting about one in 10 Americans and 29 million people currently are dealing with an eating disorder. So how do we know if it's actually an eating disorder versus bouts of disordered eating or cutting calories? Sure. So think of an eating disorder as a serious, condition. It's not a lifestyle choice. It is not, um, it is not episodic. An eating disorder is where we're restricting food. So that's what we call anorexia nervosa, or we're eating or over consuming and often purging that food. And that's called bulimia nervosa. Those are the two major types of eating disorders. Those are persistent. It isn't episodic. It is a daily struggle. And it leads to other health impacts or can, such as loss of ability to sleep, gastrointestinal issues, dental issues. So that is a clear serious diagnoses. And often people who are struggling with an eating disorder do have depression, anxiety, and choose self-harming behaviors. But there's a lot of things that happen before someone has an eating disorder that we would call disordered eating. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are different. There's a difference between disordered eating and eating disorders. Yeah, and let's get into that. I'm just going to mention, I hear it could just be on my end, but I want to bring in our fabulous director, Alex. I'm hearing a little feedback in um, the noise. I don't know if you're hearing it in yours, or maybe it's just me. Alex, are we okay? Do we have good sound here? Okay. It might just be me, so I'm going to keep going. Alex says we're good, so thank you, Cara. Um, it's it, it might be your microphone a little bit. I'm not sure if it was hitting your your blouse or somewhere else, or but there might be a little crackling sometimes. But I just am bringing it up in case anyone else is hearing it. But um, thank you, Cara. Thank you. Um, so let's go back to just how prevalent this is. Nearly one in ten Americans, that's 29 million people, will have an eating disorder at some point in their life. Absolutely, and. We, when we think about that, it's not just young women. It is people of all ages. And actually, over the last few years since COVID, we've seen a, a major increase in males and young males 
okay. struggling. So many all ages, but young males struggling with eating disorders as well. What does it look like uh, in a young man when there's an eating disorder? Does it look differently than what we're accustomed to looking for in girls? Well, there's a lot of similarities, but there might be more of a focus on um, growing maybe muscle mass or um, slimming the body and trying to drive for more strength and muscle building. It also can be that um, lack of calories or focusing on being thin or over-exercising. So very similar between males and females. Except I guess the look would be different. We often associate, um, thinking back to famous people, uh, Karen Carpenter or others that, you know, really, really gaunt thinness. So if we are looking for that in our sons or brothers, we might not see the obvious. We might think it's normal for them to just be a gym rat. Right. Absolutely. And actually, by looking at someone, it really is hard until someone likely is in the late stages of a serious eating disorder to tell that somebody has an eating disorder because maybe they haven't lost weight or they aren't um, super thin, but maybe their weight is fluctuating. Maybe, you know, often people are over-consuming foods, but they're not doing that in public. So just by looks, we can't tell often that someone has an eating disorder and how serious that disorder is. Yeah, and there are different times, of course, you know, we're talking about anorexia, anorexia nervosa, that might be extreme dieting, starvation, but there's also bulimia nervosa, which looks like vomiting, taking laxatives, purging, all of that. Um, there's also um, less common, but uh, one of, uh, so a lot of people know Mika Brzezinski, and she used to work here at this television station. She talked about suffering from orthorexia, which is an obsession of just being overly healthy, not eating anything that's not super healthy, um, which it sounds like a good thing, but these are all based in over-controlling over everything, right? Right, and it's, it's, it goes even beyond controlling. It consumes the individual's thoughts, their actions, and so, for example, often we find this in professional athletes. You know, they're only going to eat certain foods at certain times. Instead of eating 15 almonds, they're only going to eat 12 almonds and never eat more. It becomes that over-analyzing, the um, controlling, the constant thought of food, exercise, caloric intake, where it becomes a compulsive action, not just about your total health and wellness. Right. Um, so what are the resources? If you're listening to this and saying, I think we have a problem, what should we do first? Sure. So prior to an eating disorder, many people struggle with what we would call disordered eating. And one thing is to understand what disordered eating is. So think of disordered eating as those patterns that can lead to a serious eating disorder. So maybe you're dieting all the time and you're trying the latest diets or you're working to lose weight. You're losing weight and then gaining weight, losing weight and gaining weight. That constant fluctuation of weight. 
maybe it is the compulsion around how many calories you're eating, when you're eating, being obsessed about exercise. These patterns, this, these disordered patterns are important to watch for because those lead to the diagnosis of an eating disorder. And so the first thing we can do is understand what is disordered eating. And again, when is it going from I'm, I'm dieting, I want to lose a few pounds to it becomes very specific. I need to lose, lose this weight. I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if that means not eating or taking laxatives or exercising for three hours at a time. So what are those patterns? We first need to look for those patterns. Second, we need to not make assumptions about ourselves or loved ones. Again, we can't always see an eating disorder or disordered eating patterns because many people have shame, feel guilt, and so they hide these types of behaviors. So really being aware. And third, if we do suspect an eating disorder in ourselves or disordered eating or in a loved one, having a conversation about it. And that conversation needs to be without judgment, without guilt and blame, but to say, I'm concerned. I've noticed, for example, you are working out an awful lot. I see you working out, you know, two times a day. It's for hours at a time. And it doesn't feel like you're eating or you're not joining us for food or you are, are backing away from social engagements. Having that conversation and asking if people are okay. Those are, that's the best way to start. Are we seeing disordered eating patterns? Are we seeing people obsessed with the concept of eating or exercise or compulsive behavior? And how do we have that conversation? Yeah, this is, I'm imagining that um, there's different onsets, right? At least from my research, I've noticed uh, um, a lot of times you might see anorexia in girls around the age of 13. Sometimes at later ages, um, going to college, it can be very vulnerable at these transition points. Child psychologists usually worry about transition points. So uh, anyone knows talking to a teen sometimes can be difficult. They're at that age where they think you don't know anything. Um, so... Uh, how do we approach this in a way that we can help without getting the, you don't know what you're talking about? Absolutely. So um, being a mother of two teenagers, I absolutely appreciate that sometimes um, the mother isn't the best person to talk to a teenager about an eating disorder or concerns. Mm. So leveraging a spouse, uh, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle that is a trusted member of the family. Sometimes the mothers, especially with young women, that's that's the one that they're not really wanting to talk to. But not always is it that way. And really coming at it as a parent, being open, sharing empathy and your concern is really important. The other thing, when we're dealing with teens, males or females, We've, we had this prior to the pandemic, but if you think about during the pandemic, teens and young adults were our population that had so their lives changed completely. Most of ours did, but their lives specifically did. It changed 
and how they went to school and what they got to celebrate or participate in and how they maybe went to a job or didn't go to a job and how they recreated. When you think about that, how they recreated, it moved from an in-person to often a totally um, socially digital experience. And what, what these young people see on social media, which is social media can be very powerful and very healthy, but they also see the best of the best. Yeah. I mean, not many young adults and teens post their worst picture. Exactly. You know, you're seeing the best. Yeah. And so see young teens really struggling because they think they don't look like their peers. Right. And, and we've talked a lot about this on this show, and I want to refer people to go back to some of the other episodes on the podcast or even on WSB Plus. You can scroll back um, with Dr. Laura Saunders, our child psychologist, who talks a lot about, you know, social media is only good news and, it, and it's not real, but also the pressure it can put, especially on, on girls. I think it's really interesting that you're seeing more of it in boys. Do we see it in men? I mean, do you ever get an eating disorder later in life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we talk about seeing eating disorders on the rise in general and for men, we're seeing it in older. So think of men in their 30s plus. Okay. And if you think about the why, often an eating disorder starts with a really good habit. You're trying to maybe lose a few pounds or exercise more. And what we know is often in times of uncertainty, your food intake and your exercise might be the places you feel you have the most control. So in a time where we don't have control over a pandemic, over social unrest, over job changes, we do have control over how we eat and how we exercise. Right. And that is a psychiatric basis. I know uh, until I've been, you know, I've done a lot of reports on eating disorders and I don't think people are aware. They think it's so often about how you look. But uh, for young women, a lot of times it tends to be um, from a higher socioeconomic class, uh, often white women, and, and they feel like they might have no control over anything but their body. And it starts with just controlling. So I guess that makes sense. What you're saying is this time we've been through with a lack of control would mean um, we're also struggling with controlling. So if you notice that your anxiety is now channeling into unhealthy eating habits, like skipping meals, over-exercising, um, the, the consequences can be great. So as we you know, wrap up here, CVS Health, I think it's interesting. We're like, isn't that the drugstore? But you guys are the arm of everything. So if you aren't aligned already, I guess talk to your doctor or whatever, but what's, a, what's something someone could do today um, if they're concerned about themselves or the family member that they're heading into this direction? Absolutely. So first and foremost, we are here as a healthcare provider. CVS Health, we have locations all over the United States. And we within our minute clinics, you can talk to a nurse practitioner. Okay. You can just and go right in there and say, I need to talk to you. Do you think this is normal or not? Or maybe the mom takes their daughter and says, you know, I just want you to go talk to the nurse at CVS, which doesn't sound very scary. Yep. It isn't scary because people don't know why you're there. You might be getting a flu shot. You know, so it's very non-assuming. You can get help through our nurse practitioners. In many locations, we have licensed clinical social workers also available. In the drugstore? Absolutely. Okay. Do you make an appointment for these things or do you just walk in? (laughs) 
Well, you can walk in, you can make an appointment, and we provide virtual care as well. So let's say you don't want to go into a CVS store, we have virtual options where you can talk to someone right on your video face-to-face. -face. Okay. And how do we do that? Because I know some people just don't have access to insurance or they don't have access to getting in with a doctor who has you know, months of a waiting list. And, and there are a lot of people struggling with kids in crisis and anxiety. So what do we um, do about, you know, this is a great resource. Everyone knows where CVS is. So how do we schedule something that could at least get us through in the, in, in the immediate until perhaps you see your own doctor or something? Exactly, because your own primary care provider is a great resource. But you can, and we encourage you to use our minute clinics, which are located again across the country. You can go to cvshealth.com and right on the app or right on the site, it will show you one, information about eating disorders and disordered eating, toolkits for parents, for caregivers on helping your young adult, as well as how to make an appointment within Minute Clinic, within a CVS location, to see a provider. So we make it really simple. You can also walk into a CVS store. You can call a CVS location. And we do our best to provide you the care and support as either the caregiver or the individual to get the support and services you need. Yeah. No, and it's not just one conversation, I'm sure, but I love that you're kind of removing the barriers of finding that professional, getting your loved one to go. Everyone goes in, so perhaps if you're a mom listening, uh, if you have a teenage daughter or anything like mine, they love CVS with all the fun products there, so maybe it's like, hey, uh, go see the nurse. You just, I just, I'm just a little concerned. Maybe I'm crazy. Go see the nurse, and then we'll get you a little something after. Yeah, <laughs> kids, just, kids love the, kids, you can bribe them at CVS pretty easily, so... <laughs> Uh, yes, it's a good check-in. It's a good check-in, and we don't have to. In we can remove the stigma by providing support for that individual, for the parents, for caregivers, and help people get the care and support they need early up front. Yeah. We don't want to tell people are in crisis. And I should say that you do a lot of other resources. We're just talking about eating disorders today, but there's so many things that these new clinics are coming up. So I appreciate you, um, Cara, for coming on and just letting us even know that CVS isn't just a place to pick up the prescription, but you can actually pick up some actual health care, um, not just getting your COVID vaccine, but actually I did not know that there are social workers there. And so even kids sometimes don't want to go to the social worker at school because they don't want to do anything at school. So having something outside that's just theirs um, that could be done, I think that's great. Um, last question, just so people understand, you could walk in, you could make an appointment. Um, is there a charge? So first of all, it depends on... Um, what you're being seen for. I will tell you that we drive quality care at, at, a, at a low cost. So one, having a consult with a nurse practitioner is very simple and easy and usually covered by your insurance, as well as licensed clinical social worker conversations. But let's say a person doesn't have insurance. We are going to help you with what you have going on, as well as finding community resources right near where that individual lives, we are dedicated to ensuring people have the support, the services, and the care in their community, whether they are insured or uninsured. 
So, Tara, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Um, and we will, of course, uh, encourage anyone who didn't know this, you can go to CVS Health and you can make an appointment and um, it might just remove some of the barriers and like you said, the stigma when it happens to be just a little place right in your community. So I appreciate you being here and thank you for sharing this information on Caris Cures. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone, and be well. You can follow me on social media at Kara Sundlin. I do like to share this content there. You can also find some of our interviews on uh, WFSB News, so we encourage you to watch as well. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.